The country's largest non-Catholic denomination is meeting this week in Indianapolis. We'll find out what they're up to. And a champion for the value of human life succumbed last week to the disease that disabled her. We'll recall Harriet Johnson's efforts to remind us that all human life is precious. Also, Congress and the candidates are talking about the economy and taxes. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well, when the pros are out, I get to put down the mop and bucket and talk to you. And it is a great time uh, doing that. The reason the pros are out today and this week is because the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, is going on right now. And uh, I know you're thinking to yourself, some of, a lot of you who are listening, you're not Southern Baptist, you don't go to a Southern Baptist church, and you don't consider yourself denominationally committed to Southern Baptist life. A lot of you who are Southern Baptists happen to be going to a Southern Baptist church and probably uh, don't really care what's going on at the convention or not involved with it. But let me tell you why it matters, because when the nation's largest non-Catholic denomination is meeting, and they are meeting this week, it makes a difference. It matters for a lot of different reasons. Now, obviously, it matters to those who are Southern Baptist because we're concerned about what's going on with our denominational leadership. Where are they taking us? Where are our churches going? What are the statements that our churches are making? How are we working together? All of that's important to us who are involved in Southern Baptist life and are aware of it and committed to that denomination. But it also matters in broader terms than that. It matters spiritually. It matters politically. It matters culturally, obviously, and it matters to individuals who are pursuing discipleship anywhere, because the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, influences so many resources for discipleship that are not just a part of our denominational movement. And uh, we've had some really great things happen in the Southern Baptist Convention over the last 20, almost 30 years now. Uh, it's, all, it's been a really exciting ride, and uh, sometimes we go to the conventions, and the only disappointment is that there aren't a whole lot of fights left. So, uh, you know, the fighting's half the fun, isn't it? So, anyway, we want to find out what's going on, because uh, one of those who's up there right now uh, from Jerry Johnson Live, our regular host, Penna Dexter, as she's uh, there with Dr. Johnson. He's up there, and uh, a lot of folks from the college are, are present uh, at the convention in Indianapolis this year. And so we want to be able to ask her uh, about what's going on at the convention, find out some details from her, and I have some other questions for her, too. So I understand we have Penna on the line. I appreciate your uh, willingness to talk with us, Penna. Hi, Dr. Kramer. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for uh, taking this time. I know you've got a presentation to make on the platform before too long, so we'll try to get right through this with you, all right? 
Okay. All right. Well, I do want to ask you one question before we get straight to the convention. I'm pretty confident you're aware of this. Uh, did you read about the Human Rights Commission in Canada and what they were doing with this journalist who had commented on Muslims reproducing in Europe and all that kind of stuff? Did you read anything about that, or do you know anything about that? Well, I did. The journalist is Mark Stein, and right. a lot of people have heard of him. He he wrote this book, America Alone, that's gotten a lot of play. But, you know, it's kind of interesting that we're here at the Southern Baptist Convention. We're talking about our beliefs, our faith, sort of defining ourselves as right. culture. Right. And yet uh, Mark Stein has been on trial for just making a statement that he thought was fairly true and really is true about uh, radical Islam and how uh, influential it's becoming in Europe and uh, to the point where uh, in some of the countries of Europe, there may have to be some concession for Sharia law simply because there are so many Muslims there. And now he's facing trial for that. So it just kind of was, in my mind, a contrast between what we get to do here in the United States, that something that we really need to be protecting, those he, rights of free speech, he's, now he's on what goes on in Canada. He's on trial before a human rights commission of some kind, and apparently they have these all over Canada now. And uh, it's for what he wrote, which wasn't itself bashing anything. Wasn't he quoting a lot of imams and making statements just about how things were being described by them? Isn't that what he was doing? His quote is, uh, there's pressure, there's going to be pressure in Europe. He was talking about Europe to, quote, reach an accommodation with their radicalized Islamic compatriots. So really what that means is, Right. Uh, it's just a statement of reality that right. there are so many Muslims and so many radical Muslims that, you know, they're going to need to accommodate them. They're in going to some way. They're going to have to compromise. Speech, but. Oh, man, what is going on up in Canada? Eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I uh, that's a really scary place. You know, I had and I'm, I, I don't want to take time to do this, but I got to tell you, I had a history professor and he's a brilliant guy. He was nominated for a Pulitzer uh, Prize for one of the books that he wrote. And uh, his statement one day in class was, when I was in a seminar with him, was, uh, I don't think the American Revolution made any difference. That's what he said. They didn't even need to do it. It would have happened naturally over time. I said, well, I doubt it. I said, well, how, how can you say that? He said, well, you know, we didn't have a revolution in Canada, and look where we are. I said, you are where you are because we had a revolution. What do you, what do you think's going on? I, said, I don't know what Canadians are thinking, Penn. I'm sorry to take that out on you. I just well, let me just add one ask. more thing sure. on, on this uh, issue up there in Canada because one of the investigators in this Human Rights Commission in Canada, right. his quote was, "Freedom of speech is an American concept, so I don't give it any value." Oh. And that's, you know, certainly played out in this case, and it does highlight the difference between wow. our Constitution and theirs. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Man, that's a scary quote right there. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, yesterday, uh, Penna, on the show, we were talking about being involved. We, we talked about that video where a guy got hit up in Hartford, Connecticut by a car, and then everybody just watched, and no right. one did anything, or apparently no one did anything. They made a few calls. But uh, anyway, we had talked about being engaged. Now, we have Chriswell students who are up there in Indianapolis, and I don't know if you've been able to keep up with them at all or be involved with what they're, with what they're doing. But they went up to do crossover, which is sort of a door-knocking, try-to-start-some-churches evangelism effort that we make when whenever we have an SBC event in a city. And uh, do you, have you heard any word about what they're doing with all the floods and everything? I know that they've surely had to change their task somewhat. Well, uh, they changed it, but it was just wonderful. Yes, I've talked to many of them. I've had a lot of conversations with them. Well, what's going on and, with it? Uh, well, they went up to do crossover, which is an evangelistic effort that we always do at the, uh, in 
like in the advance of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a church that was a little bit south of Indianapolis that was hosting them, and these people uh, were yeah, letting them, the students and uh, their leaders stay in their homes. Right, and they went right. out to do street evangelism. Well, street evangelism ended up pretty wet, because you've probably heard about the weather. Sure, here. the floods. And this was one of the flooded areas. So the streets were flooded, and instead of just leaving and going inside, our students stayed out there, and uh, the church uh, that was hosting them ended up being one of the relief centers, places where people were directed to go to get disaster relief. And so our kids were not only witnessing and sharing with them, but mostly they were sending them to this church, where then they were getting uh, shared with witness to and some of their needs met. (laughs) Now that's the word providential. (laughs) That is providential. That that's really profound. Bobby Worthington, one of our professors, took the students up there. I bet he is just beside himself uh, with the Lord providing that opportunity. Uh, I'm glad to hear about that. Let me ask you a couple of questions about what's going on in the convention itself. I, uh, being way down here, really haven't heard that much, haven't been able to keep up with it very well. I understand that by now they've elected uh, the new president. Do you know anything about him, who he is, anything you can tell us? Yes, I do. First of all, I'll tell you that uh, there are over 7,000 messengers here registered, and that was at the time of the actual election of the president. Great. And uh, there were six people running. And I I heard you uh, before I joined you mention how important the Southern Baptist Convention is just to Christianity because it's so big. Right. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, about 20-something years ago, something happened in the convention called the Conservative Resurgence, That's where right. this was huge denomination, went back from liberalism, back to being conservative, back right. to the Bible and the right. Word of God. And this new president who was elected, uh, his name is Johnny Hunt, and he's from Woodstock Baptist Church in sure. uh, Georgia. And he's considered one who will continue and even renew the vision of the conservative resurgence, and that is yeah. kind of always a, a concern when a president is elected, whether or not he will turn the denomination back away from that right. or continue it. And the last president, there was some concern he would sort of maybe not, uh, maybe take us a step backwards. Yeah. Uh, it didn't turn out to be really be the case. Uh, Frank Page did a great job, but this new president is considered very, very strong on all the uh, concerns of the conservative resurgence, so people are pretty happy, that, at least the ones that I know. And There right. were six people running, and he won on the first ballot. Oh, uh, that's impressive. Uh, he's, a, he's a great preacher. I've heard him preach, and I, I do know of him as a, as a strong conservative, so I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I, uh, with Frank Page, I, 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 you know, we don't want to be critical or, or judgmental in any way. I really like his commitment to evangelism, his focus uh, on the convention, getting back to winning souls, to talking to people about Christ. And I think all of us would acknowledge that's uh, something that was really important to him. Uh, well, he gave a great message today, Dr. Kramer. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. Uh-huh. But I thought, I mean, it was, it was my heart, too, because, you know, there are a lot of Christians out there, especially in the South, who are just sort of cultural Christians. Right, right. And uh, they act like Christians, and they go to church. Right. Uh, but they may not really be saved, or they may not really have a, a deep commitment to Christ. And his message was against that. You know, he wants our our, Christi- our Christianity to be real. Good. And so that was that was a good message. Hey, I, I'm all for that. Now, th- there was that thing with the environmental issues in the middle of the of his uh, presidency that kind of right. disturbed me because he supported that uh, effort to promote environmental concerns beyond really what was reasonable and uh, there was, appropriate. There were a few pastors that were along with him, and then the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission kind of came out with a, another statement that was more along the lines of the way we discussed it on, on uh, Jerry Johnson Live. Good, good. And I was glad to hear that. And there's no hint of any kind that Johnny Hunt would go that way, is there? 
No, there isn't. Okay, uh, it I don't know what his uh, actual position on, is on it, but he didn't right. sign uh, that statement that... Right. Uh, Page and other signs. And so I, I think I, he's probably okay there. I know some of our listeners probably don't think that's something that we should be measuring the presidency of a convention by or anything, but it but it really is important that basic moral issues uh, are a part of our representation to the culture, and that we don't bow to political pressures. And that really is what this concern for environmentalism was. It was bowing to public pressure. Now, and I know you already agree with that, or I assume you do, Penna. Uh, but I want to ask you one more uh, question before we run out of time in this first segment, and that is, uh, is there any word or activity uh, from Richard Land from the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, anything going on with them at the convention this year or, or uh, that you've seen this week? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm biased because I'm on the commission. Yeah, of course. That's where I have, that's where I have to go uh, in a little while is to just go up on the stage and uh, support the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Richard uh, Land. Commission, who's Dr. Land, who's giving a speech. Uh, and uh, But the commission sort of makes statements on all kinds of issues and tries to help pastors understand the political issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, because sometimes pastors don't have time to just pay as much attention to these things. Yeah, well, they right. had just the most awesome booth. It was right by the Criswell College's booth, so I was really seeing what was going on there. Got about a minute. And they put up questions, and people could answer questions about all kinds of things. One was global warming, uh-huh. and another one was uh, who the people uh, that were there attending wanted for president. Right. 92% were supporting John <laughs> McCain. Probably not too surprised. Not too big a surprise. Uh, that's interesting. What, that, what was the deal on global warming? They were asking a question just about how important it was or what? They asked several questions about it. What did the people in the audience, and there were lots of people sitting around uh, pressing buttons on a little thing that then the answers went up on the screen, but do you think global warming is caused by man? Do you think we can do anything to change it? Do you think we ought to uh, oh, right. uh, put clamps down on emissions of CO2, according to what Congress has been trying to do? And all of them came down uh, overwhelmingly, 70, 80, sometimes 90 percent, just saying that, uh, yes, maybe it's real, but man doesn't have a whole lot of impact on yeah, okay. it. certainly shouldn't let government... A good uh, solid response then. Hey, listen, uh, if you see Dr. Land when you get a chance to speak with him, uh, I know he'll be very concerned about my opinion on economics, so you just let him know he's still a little too liberal on economics, but everything else he's doing just fine. So I'll make sure I'll let him know You that. let him know that. It's free market or nothing. That's what it's all about. Thank you so much for your time, Penn. I appreciate you Thanks, being Dr. with us. Kramer. Now, when we come Thank back, you. we're going to have an opportunity opportunity to talk about a woman who took a strong stand for the value of human life and lived it out herself. Thanks for listening on Jerry Johnson Live. You come back. We're going to keep talking in just a minute. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. 
That's chriswill.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. And I am really glad to be with you. We just had a moment to uh, spend with Penna Dexter for the last segment where we were talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. She mentioned the conservative resurgence and uh, how important it was in the history of our denomination, by the way, and how unusual it was in the history of all religious denominations to have a group actually return to their conservative roots, and that was hugely important. Well, one of the things that drove the conservative resurgence was a concern about a declining respect for the value of human life. And uh, it was on the issue of abortion, but I'm telling you, when I raise that issue, I know that it's a 35-year-old issue on the front burner of most people's ethics concerns. I understand that they're tired of hearing about it and tired of talking about abortion. I understand that, but I just want to make clear, it's not about abortion. It's about a respect for human life, and not just in terms of how functional that life is to us or what it brings to us, but actually objective human life as a value in itself. And uh, I want to take a moment, just a, just a minute, to thank Harriet Johnson for standing up for the value of human life. Now, Harriet Johnson uh, was 50 this year and finally uh, succumbed to the disease that had disabled her for most of her life. Uh, she had suffered from birth with a degenerative neuromuscular disease that had her in a, in a wheelchair, and she was uh, a very frail, uh, small, but ebullient and powerful person. And uh, she was committed to respecting the lives of people whom everyone else would look at and say, oh, what a shame that that person is living like that or having to put up with that, or, or others who might not be able to speak for themselves, and people would even say, wow, I, I bet they wish they could die or they wouldn't want to be alive. And, and she was so committed to the value of her own life and to living that life out for a purpose that she wanted everyone else to understand that you cannot diminish the value of a life simply because, in your opinion, its quality has been diminished. That's just not acceptable to her in any way. And so she took this really strong stand, and in a couple of ways she got some public attention about her ability to do that, and then uh, died last week, last Wednesday, I believe it was. And so I want to talk about her for a minute and and point out a couple of the things that she did. Now, I'm not uh, espousing everything that she said. I mean, we're certainly not in agreement with everything that she stood for. Uh, in, in, in fact, in a lot of ways, she was a liberal. This happens a lot to people who are on the civil rights cusp in her terms. That is, they're promoting the same kinds of issues that she was having to promote. But it doesn't happen because of the values that they hold. It didn't happen to her because of the values that she held. Uh, she was, if uh, uh, and she was a political liberal, but as a political liberal, she was that not because of her values, but by accident. Now, I'm not saying that to be insulting to her. And I, for anybody who's listening and knew of her or you agreed with her political values, I'm not trying to be insulting to you. I, I just want to be realistic about this. The reality is that you do not need to be a liberal to promote the causes that she really wanted to promote. In fact, there's nothing more central to conservative values than the value of each 
human life and the respect that ought to be given to it. So uh, her desire for things like uh, were promoted by the ADA, the uh, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, whatever that was called, when it was passed. You know, that, that's, a, that's an act that brought a lot of hardship on businesses and industry. And so it's had a, a, an adverse effect on, in some ways on the economy. And so it's had a tremendous benefit, uh, especially in terms just of civil equality uh, for the handicapped. So I understand both sides of the ADA and why p- some people hate it and why some people love it. But the reality is that the government stepped in and with the ADA, they enforced some rules that made it possible for people who are otherwise excluded to be included. And that's not a bad value for us to espouse. We want people to be included. We don't want them to be excluded. But the ADA and other protections like that that are provided by the government leave some defenders of all life confused about the government's role. And they uh, change that role to thinking that the government is the only one that can bring equality in a society where there's not equality. And that's that's not correct. It's a misunderstanding both of what equality is and of what's capable of bringing about the right kind of equality, because there's more than one kind of equality. There's equality of opportunity, aside from just this equality of uh, distribution of resources, which is what everybody seems to think of as equality right now. So anyway, one of the things that uh, Harriet Johnson got involved with that made her well-known was Peter Singer. He's actually been on this program, interviewed by uh, Dr. Johnson right here. And uh, Peter Singer's position is extremely deleterious to moral values. Uh, His view is that species as a concept is artificial. That is, that uh, it's an abstract construct uh, of us to say that humans are one kind of thing and apes are another kind of thing and dogs are another kind of thing and so on like that, that there are arbitrary lines that we've drawn. But in reality, ethically, everything that can experience pain has a certain moral value in the culture. Now, don't go deaf on me here. Just keep listening for just a second, because this is really important. And so Peter Singer says species is artificial, which means that if we believe that if a dog is suffering sufficiently or a horse is suffering sufficiently and ought to be put down, then he believes that that implies that any human being who would be suffering equally ought also to be put down. Now, he wouldn't even just say, he might say publicly uh, they ought to be allowed to end their own life, but he would literally say that euthanasia is appropriate in exactly the same circumstances, not dependent on whether you're human or not, but dependent on how much suffering is going on or something like that. Now, that's the idea of speciesism, he calls it. Harriet Johnson actually stood up during, well, she went forward in her wheelchair during a question and answer time when Peter uh, Singer was presenting at a university, and she confronted him on this, and it led to a further confrontation where they had a public debate about it, and then to a huge article in the New York Times, 8,000 words or so, covering both views, and she took this really strong position that human life ought to be defended, and, and, and in honesty, she held it consistently, and that's apparent in this interview that she did in 2005 on NPR, and in this interview, what she's dealing with was the issue of that day, which was Terry Schindler-Shivo, you remember her, uh, she was in this uh, 
persistent vegetative state, as people call it, a PVS. And uh, she was not, it was not clear whether she was conscious or not. Some people were adamantly uh, proposing that she was conscious. Others were saying adamantly that she wasn't. But remember, her husband wanted her feeding and uh, hydration to be removed. And her family, her parents, uh, did not want it to be removed. They wanted her life to be protected. And Harriet Johnson stood up consistently, as she always would have, for Terry Schindler's, uh, Terry Schindler Shivo's life. And so I want, to, I want you to hear uh, a few of these statements that she made in defense of Terry Schindler Shivo and the value of all human life. That phrase is used to set disabled people aside as being in a different category. And the reality is that, you know, only the person who is living the life is able to make that judgment. And unfortunately, Ms. Shivo certainly can't say what she wants at this point. And it's possible that she doesn't know what she wants. But I think the law needs to have a presumption that only the person affected can make the decision to give up their own life, that that's beyond the scope of a substitute decision-maker's power. Now, she's saying this as a person who went through, not only earned her B.A. and her master's degree, but also a J.D., a Juris Doctor. She's a lawyer. And so, as a lawyer, she advocated these causes constantly, so she understands what she's talking about. Now, there are some difficult issues involved, but, but when she hears the phrase, a life no longer worth living, that was her response, that that's just an excuse for ending a life that we don't think is worth living anymore. But we don't have the prerogative of deciding that. The per- Person, and this is a person who's living with a disability who says this, that person changes their mind as time goes by and they realize that life is precious all the time. Uh, the NPR um, uh, inquisitor or interrogator, or uh, there's got to be a positive word for that, okay, interviewer, uh, the NPR guy that was talking to her also asked her why, if it's okay in some cases, for other people, a proxy to make a decision for someone, why she didn't think that was okay this time. I think the choice to give up your life is one that cannot be delegated. And there are others that the law has recognized for a long time. For example, guardians can't consent to their ward having sex. Um, This actually is a deliberate killing of a person. And I don't think, you know, that we can allow a surrogate to make that decision based on disability. Now, uh, she's making some comments that are more profound because of her personal experience uh, having gone through disability for her entire life. She understands the losses that are involved, but she also understands that there is a purpose for people to be in this world and that that's worth living out. Here's what she says about how her own disability affects her view of cases like Terry Schindler Shivo's. My perspective, all my perspectives affected as a lawyer interested in civil rights and as a disabled person, they all come into play. I've got a neuromuscular disease that affects all my muscles. And so a feeding tube is probably in my not-too-distant future. When that happens, I hope that my life will go on and that people won't be too freaked out about it. But I think knowing as a lawyer that our legal system is biased enough to put someone in a totally different legal category because of a feeding tube is simply nuts. And I think anyone connected with disability rights is legitimately concerned about that. She's medically stable. She's not terminally ill, not on life support. What, you know, why do we need to kill her? 
Man, I, I could not agree with her more. She also describes in an article she wrote about this how she remembered seeing a person who was unconscious, probably had no idea what was going on, and she watched their family sit there and make the decision not to end the life of that person, but to keep them alive. And she was stricken by the love, the sacrificial commitment and love that that family was demonstrating towards someone who could not give anything back to them anymore, except for the fact that they could love that person. And they did. Uh, That's a really valuable commitment and one we need to learn. We're going to be talking about these things and a few others when we come back in the last half of the hour. And I'm going to invite you then, if you want to call in on any of these things or those other issues we'll be bringing up to do it. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Hang on. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well, we've had a good time talking to Pennedexter about the Southern Baptist Convention up in Indianapolis first, and then we uh, observed a little bit uh, of memory about Harriet Johnson and her influence on the debate about human life and how important it is to value every human life. It's also important for us uh, to think straight about things. And I just want to point out something here. Uh, today, I rode the TRE and then the DART light rail and then the bus over here to Criswell College. Some days I do that. Uh, some days I do it just because it's an adventure. Some days because it gives me time to type while I'm on my way over here. And uh, some days because it just works out in such a way that it, that it makes it easier for both of us. My wife will be over here also tonight, and so we'll be able to go home in one car together. So that'll be a lot more fun. So I'm running the TRE over here today, and I, and I noticed uh, a couple of things that uh, I realized were ironic. There, there was something odd going on. Number one was when I was on the light rail, as we passed the Cancer Survival Plaza, uh, which is at the corner of Pearl and Bryan, you know, I noticed a couple of people celebrating the beauty of that park, which celebrates the beauty of cancer survival with a cigarette. (laughs) And I thought to myself, what are they? Of course, I'm not being harshly critical here. I mean, they just were looking for an open place and they uh, wanted to have a smoke together. And uh, there are worse things that people do, although I personally find it uh, disgusting at best. But still, uh, I understand all that. But I, I just find it ironic that people are inhaling carcinogens in the highest quantities they can find on the legal market in a place called the Cancer Survival Plaza. In the same way, I found it ironic that as I was riding the TRE and the light rail and the bus, and I was saving all of that gas and preventing all of those greenhouse gases from going into the atmosphere, that the thought that entered my mind was not, oh, good, I'm helping the environment. Oh, good, I'm saving myself some money. The thought that entered my mind was, isn't it a shame that I can't give more money to those who have best represented the success of what a corporation and industry and productivity can do in our country. I can't give any money to them because I'm not buying gas. And isn't it a shame that I can't contribute a little more greenhouse gas to our, our already comfortably warming climate? It's just a shame that I couldn't contribute to that. Well, anyway, the reason I'm saying all of that is because 
Our congressmen have been busy today trying to find a way to take our money. And I want us to be able to talk about this for a few minutes. Now, I know at this point you say to yourself, I don't want to talk about the economy. I don't want to talk about money. I want to talk about important. Let me tell you, the economy, money, and how we relate to each other in an economy are hugely important. And there is no bigger step into our freedom in this country than this. I know you're going to to think I'm exaggerating when I say it, but this redistribution of wealth, this socialism that's coming down the pike in terms of taxing the rich and giving it to the poor, and how can these people make profits like that in us? We just don't understand what profit is. Now, let's get a little of this straight, at least. So let's look at the presidential candidates first and hear what they're saying. Now, we're all going to acknowledge that John McCain has not been physically conservative enough, but at least he's trying to consort consort. Uh, At least he's trying to uh, convince some conservatives now that he actually is economically conservative. And you know what? I think the guy is a smart guy. And so maybe thinking through it, he actually has had a realization that the free market is valuable and intelligent and worth preserving. But anyway, uh, he has certainly embraced it publicly for the moment. And one of the ways you evidence that is by giving tax breaks, which is exactly what he says he's going to give if he's in the White House. I'll propose to double the size of the child tax exemption, double it. I will also propose as well a middle class tax cut a phase-out of the alternative minimum tax to save more than 25 million middle-class Americans. All right, we're going to save money for those middle-class Americans because they're the only ones who deserve to have money saved. Uh, The rich actually don't deserve to have any of the money they earned saved. Uh, I'm not rich. I'm not in that class. But for crying out, oh, well, anyway, I'm not even going to carry on that discussion right now. I know that's pandering to the audience to use the word middle-class, but I'm still glad that he's talking about providing the the tax breaks. Now, since the campaigning is so positive, of course, he has to make a comment also about what Barack Obama wants to do. And one of those things is to increase the estate tax, what's called a death tax, what amounts to a double tax. Listen to what he says about Barack. He proposes to increase to a top rate of 55 percent. The estate tax is one of the most unfair tax laws on the books, and the first step to reform is to keep it predictable and keep it low. <laughs> I, I still I find this odd. We were talking about this before the show. It's one of the most unfair tax laws on the books, and the best thing to do is just keep it predictable and keep it low. Not just get rid of it. I mean, it's unfair to begin with, but uh, he doesn't go that far. But that's all right. At least he's upset that Barack Obama wants to make it a 55% uh, death tax which is just uh, irrational. Uh, On top of that, McCain criticizes Obama for uh, Obama's desire to increase dividend and capital gain taxes. Under Senator Obama's tax plan, Americans of every background would see their taxes rise. Seniors, parents, small business owners, and just about everyone who has even a modest investment in the market. Now, of course, uh, John McCain is not the only one speaking today, and so uh, we have a few things that Barack Obama has been saying as well. And, of course, one of those things is to separate himself from John McCain. And predictably, as he separates himself from John McCain, he's going to lump John McCain together with George Bush. Now, if he can do that, he thinks that he can ride the wave of unpopularity that seems to have attached itself to the Bush presidency, at least in journalism, 
it has, and then uh, he'll be able to get into the White House. So uh, here's Barack Obama making his statement of differentiation between him and John McCain. The centerpiece of John McCain's economic plan amounts to a full-throated endorsement of George Bush's policies. <laughs> it's exactly what he wants to accomplish, is just saying that John McCain is more George Bush. Now, in some ways, I, I have great respect for our president, great respect for George Bush, great respect for his integrity, great respect for his commitment, for his leadership, for his willingness to take us into a defensive battle against terrorism and then make it an offensive battle against terror. I'm for all of that. But you do understand where Barack Obama is coming from, from, from in, in this case, because economically, uh President Bush has made some mistakes, and one of those is he has been too willing uh, to allow government to expand, too willing to allow things to go forward. Uh, And this is one of the areas where I would disagree with him. Free market economics is the only way to make our economy the strongest that it can possibly be. Anyway, uh, Barack Obama criticizes John McCain. Uh, Well, listen to what he says here in criticism of John McCain. We were promised a fiscal conservative. Instead, we got the most fiscally irresponsible administration in history. Now, what he's criticizing is the last eight years of a presidency that he says has increased our expenses and decreased our income, which he thinks simply means it's lowered our taxes while increasing our expenses. That's not the problem. But anyway, that's how he views it. And then he's lumping John McCain into that category. But he actually thinks John McCain may be worse than George Bush because he thinks that taxing is the problem and that John McCain is going to tax less. So that's what he argues here. Now, I've said that John McCain is running to serve out a third Bush term. But the truth is, when it comes to taxes, that's not being fair to George Bush. <laughs> now, that's about a, as brutal a statement as you can make when what you're trying to say is that George Bush is no good. And then you say, and John McCain's even worse than that. But man alive, uh, somebody has got to get on board to make clear what the real problem is here. The problem is not that oil companies are making money. Now, seriously, you're listening. You're listening right now. A lot of you are driving right now and you have to buy your gas. And so I have to buy my gas, too. And it costs a ton of money for me to fill my little Malibu. My little Malibu cost $55 to fill up with gas last week. Now, that's absurd. That is ridiculous. And yet, I was willing to stand at the pump and pay $55 to put gas into my car because it's worth it to me to have that much gas in my car. And if it hadn't been, I wouldn't have stood there and put the money into my tank. But somehow or another, we think that that is a crime. It's a crime to put a product out on the street corner and put a price on it publicly so that people know what it is and then say to them, if you'd like this product, you can come and pay for it. In fact, we'll make it so easy for you to pay for. You just slip your card into and out of a machine and we'll take the money out of your account and you'll never feel the pain of it. But they don't take the money out when we're driving by if we don't want the gas. They only take our money if we take their gas. It's our choice whether we do it or not. And somehow or another, we think that that's immoral And yet it would be moral for the government to step in and say, you don't want health insurance? Well, I don't care whether you want it or not. I'm going to take your money and I am going to make you buy health insurance even if you don't want it. What on earth 
is wrong with us? Well, I can tell you what's wrong with us. We don't understand a free market economy anymore. And the reason we don't understand it anymore is because we don't care about the value that underlies it, which is a respect for every person in the society at the same level. No king in Washington gets to decide what I do or don't care about or what I do or don't want to buy. Well, I said that, but it's not true because kings in Washington are trying to decide what I should care about and what I should have to spend my money on, and I don't want them to do it. I want, when we come back, to give you a few quotes from the Senate today that will just, if you have common sense, they will send shivers down your spine. It just creeps me out. I know you can't tell that I care about this. I'm trying not just to be passive about it, but the reality is it gets all over me when I hear people say irrational things like this, like, we're going to take more money from the oil companies, and then I'm sure they'll charge less for their product because we're taking more money from them. Wouldn't that just make sense? Wouldn't they just give us the product free eventually because we're taking their profits away? Let's talk about this when we come back. So you stay with us through the break on Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well, we've been talking about all kinds of things today, but we're finally down to this issue that that, uh, has been at the forefront of a lot of our minds every time we go to the gas pumps and have to pay uh, these outrageous prices that are so high and yet that we are so willing to pay. In fact, that whole group of protesters that were downtown, you know, more power to them saying, wow, you're charging too much for our gas. But every time they say that, every time they protest, what they're really saying is your product is so valuable to us, we'll pay almost anything you want to charge. But Right now, you're charging enough that we're still paying it freely. And so I wish you'd charge less. But but it's because your product's worth more. It's just ridiculous. I mean, uh, truly, I, I'm not trying to say people are stupid if they disagree. They're not stupid. But economically, 
I can't think of a good word for it, so I'm just not going to go there. Man, you turn your back for one day on the Congress. You turn your back for one day on the Congress, on the Senate or the House of Republicans, and they're going to try to take money from you. And so today, they try to slip through this wide-ranging energy bill. Uh, They failed because it didn't clear some procedural hurdle or another. I don't know what it was, but it included a call— it included a call for a windfall profits tax. You know, I don't care about windfall profits tax. Yes, you do. Now, let's just say you play the lottery, in which case you're immoral. But let's say you do. You play the lottery. So you buy a lottery ticket. Now, let's say you win the lottery ticket, and your family members who have all left you because they're moral and they wouldn't play the lottery, but they find out you won the lottery. And all of a sudden, they want to be your friends again. They're calling you again. Oh, you know, we didn't really mean that about you. Or, well, you've already won it, and you're not going to play anymore, are you? So we'll be your friends again. Because, you know, a wealthy person has a lot of friends. Now, that's creepy when people are like that, isn't it? It's just pitiful when people only like to be around you because you suddenly have money. That, that bothers us. But this, this is worse than that. This is much worse than that. This is you winning the lottery and turning around and realizing that the bully on the schoolyard realizes that you won the lottery and that you've got all the cash in your pocket. And he's saying, what? You've got $100 million in your pocket? Well, I'm the bully. I'm going to take your money. Now, that is just flat criminal. And that we have no respect for whatsoever, unless our Congress does it. And then we listen to their speeches, and we think somehow that it makes sense. Now, I just want to take this next statement, which comes from, uh, let's see, which senator is this? Oh, Claire McCaskill, uh, Democrat from Missouri, right? Democrat from Missouri. So she, listen, I just, listen to this state. Twilight Zone. You want, she's going to use the word Twilight Zone. I just want to invite us to use that word about what she's saying. Go ahead. $17 billion oh. in taxpayer money. With those kinds of profits. This is like the Twilight Zone. You have $17 billion and you're not going to give any of it to me? This is, this is outrageous. This is the Twilight Zone. That money should be mine because it exists and I'm powerful. What is going on? We do not take money from people because they make it. And can I just insert here that when people make money through legitimately means like producing oil or energy products, when they're producing things in the economy, not just stealing money from other people, they are all of their profits indicate what they have already put into the economy, which was worth whatever profits they're holding now. They've already paid their debt. They put the stuff into the economy. They've already paid taxes on top of that. Then we want to take a marker, their profit, which says we owe them from our economy what they have already put into it. We want to take that away from them and say they owe us more. This is absurd. Absurd. That's a new word. We're going to go with that. All right. The uh, Listen, Chuck Schumer talks about it, too, and uh, he's a Democrat from New York, so you can imagine which direction he's going to go with this. I want you to listen to him talk about forcing oil companies to spend their money the way he thinks they ought to, because, you know, he is a great energy guru. We say take some of those record profits and require it be placed into alternative energy. Oh, oh, thank you, Do- uh, Dr. Schumer. Oh, oh, it's not doctor, is it? Well, I mean, CEO Schumer. Oh, it's not CEO Schumer. Thank you, Mr. Legislator, Mr. Lawmaker, for telling an energy company how they ought to spend their money. Do you know that 
when we need alternative energy sources, the free market is going to compel people. After all, necessity is the mother of invention. It is going to compel people to pursue those things, and they will be worth pursuing at that time. Now, uh, oh, I'm so glad I have a caller from Fort Worth and uh, glad to join you, Justin, in Fort Worth. I love it when people disagree with me. What do you hey, disagree how's it about? going? Uh, it's going great, man. How are you doing? Good, good. I, I just uh, I listened to your comment a minute ago about gasoline prices. i got to yeah. disagree with you here. Okay, well, in what way? What's that? In what way? How? Well, when you mentioned that uh, people driving by the gasoline pumps, it's worth it to them to pay four dollars a gallon. Yeah, it's st- it's still worth it to me to pay four dollars a gallon because I have to feed myself and my family. I've got to get to work. Yep. This entire country is built on needing gasoline. We the necessity; it's a need. We can't function without it. We're not we're not on a a farm somewhere where we can walk and produce our own stuff and grow. Right. I mean, we're not we're not. Uh, what do right. you call it? Uh, no, I, uh, I Amish. I, you know, I, we, I, we have to have <laughs> gasoline. We have to have energy. We, we do have to have energy, and yes. so what, where, where's the limit? I mean, what is, right. what is gasoline? You know where the limit is? Hey, hey, what's going to happen when the gasoline costs so much that nobody can go to work, and so nobody's producing anything, and nobody needs the gasoline anymore, then how much is Exxon going to be making? So do you think they're sitting on their hands and saying, hey, let's just keep producing oil only at a rate that's going to allow us to get this kind of price from it? Or are they saying, how can we maintain our involvement in an economy that needs energy and has provided all the energy it needs? I will guarantee you that the free market will level it out if we will let it run. The reason gas prices, by the way, are so high right now is because we won't let the free market run. We tell them not to drill. We tell them not to produce oil because we'd rather them do other things. And so we force the price to go up. Uh, Justin, I appreciate your call, and I understand that you disagree. I wish we had more time because that I know you're an intelligent guy. I can tell from the comments that you made. I want to get just a little bit in from one other caller. Uh, we want to join Jay in Lancaster. appreciate you calling. And uh, what's your comment, sir? Well, I just wish uh, you'd have been this outspoken when all the tax rebate money was going back to people. Now, why um, would I be? I didn't see a single dollar of the tax rebate money. Because I didn't qualify. Oh, you made too much money, didn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, my, brother. I, my tax dollars okay. and all those other people. Okay, listen, I'm here to apologize to you. I apologize <laughs> to you right now. I apologize. I apologize to you because it is a redistribution of wealth, plain and simple. Yes. I apologize right. to you for the fact that I did get a check because I don't make enough to be excluded from it. And I apologize to you that I did go ahead and spend <laughs> your money. Uh, <laughs> but, but, brother, I, I am with you. It's wrong. It's wrong that that happened. I'm glad the government gave back money that wasn't theirs to begin with. With, but I wish they had given it back to everybody that they took it from to begin with. So, Jay, great call. Appreciate your input. Hey, listen, I, I want to say to everybody, the issues that we've been dealing with are important because they touch not only on truths that are eternal, but on practical realities. Then, you know, here's, here's what we did today. First, if we get everything else right, but we ignore the value of human beings who surround us, we have gained absolutely nothing. And one of the things we have to learn from that, and this is the second thing we were talking about today, is that we have to treat each other equally, which means I cannot become envious when someone else prospers. I can't say I should profit, but they shouldn't. We all stand equally before God in value and worth. This is Jerry Johnson Live. Thanks for listening. Let's do it again tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.